and welcome to The Making of, a Nat Geo podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Wilson-Hunt, and with me today from Nat Geo's original series, Genius Aretha, is executive producer and director, Anthony Hemingway. Welcome, Anthony. I am so honored to speak with you today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. So happy to have you. And I have to say, you have one of TV's most enviable and diverse directing careers. I don't know a lot of people who can go from The Wire to Glee to Shameless and Genius Aretha with as much ease (laughs) as you do. And I'd love to know with all the work you've done, what makes you say yes at this point in your career? What most inspires you in terms of storytelling? Uh, It's story first for me. You know, I, I have to feel like I can relate it's a story that I feel passionate about, a story that I feel is necessary in telling. Now, that might not mean that every story has to, you know, have something very deep or a message. I think even in entertaining someone, you can affect someone. Just a little brief story. I started off with the childhood dream of wanting to be a doctor. Oh my goodness. That's very different from directing. Very different. (laughs) I grew up around mortality and I think that shaped my childhood. And so from that point on, I had this thing about wanting to help heal, save the world and prevent people from going through, you know, the traumatic experience that I did as a child. So that was my childhood dream for as far as I went through school and graduated from high school. And, you know, at that point that left me and I was kind of left at a crossroad. I'll digress a bit and also say that I grew up in this business. I'm second generation by way of my mother and my father. So I had experiences and a familiarity with the business my entire life. So at that point, I kind of, you know, leaned back onto the business. I started being a production assistant when I was 13 years old. So I was already familiar (laughs) and used to it. I have to ask, what were you doing? Where were you working at age 13? I'm from New York and Mm -hmm. I moved to North Carolina after my sister passed away, finished school there. And I first started working in North Carolina. It was a commercial for this fashion company out of Canada. I remember that was my very first job as a PA. It opened me up to see something that I had never really, you know, because my parents were not trying to push me into it at all. They actually tried to keep us away from it. Well, and what what kind of work did your parents do in the business exactly? My mother was a production coordinator uh, when I was a child uh, and my father was an actor. Oh my goodness. What interesting sort of ends of the spectrum of show business. Completely crazy, you know, Mm -hmm. and because even from the child, my father's a Vietnam vet, you know, and it's so many things that really kind of shaped my life. But I think from that childhood moment, that's when I wanted to find a way to make a contribution and to leave a legacy that I felt made an impact, made a contribution and stood for something. And that's what I'm all about. So story first for me, if I connect to it, if I feel like it's a story that hasn't been told, if it speaks for the unheard, the unseen, I'm all about it. Hmm. And also very sorry to hear about your sister. That must have been a really, really hard experience as a young man. So I'm very sorry to hear that you went through that. It's interesting you talk about the path that may have led you to being a doctor and the one that led you to doing what you're doing now. Both of those jobs were about healing because it sounds like you wanted to help heal people. And to a degree, you probably have in your current job. How much do you see your work as a director as being sort of a vehicle for healing? I think it's a pretty clear parallel. At least I feel it is because, you know, when I was at a crossroad feeling lost of, you know, Mm -hmm 
spending a, a whole childhood of preparing for something and, and ended up not doing it. And when I decided to choose the path that I'm currently on and have been on for the last number of years, I really feel like what I started with, what was planted inside of me, never changed. I just had to find the right throughway or really the right path that I can actually be of help or be of service. And so I find myself as a vessel to really kind of funnel and channel just many great stories that I feel really kind of, I think, help people either see themselves, help them in many different capacities in their lives. So I do feel like being a storyteller and a filmmaker is a way that can affect change and, and make an impact on someone really greatly. Hmm. And also a lot fewer tests to be a director, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was the other thing I left out. I was like, I'm not going to school for 10 more years. Like, it's I don't a lot think that's of school. Happening. You really have to love it because then also you don't make money for a long time too. That's the other thing no one tells you about being a doctor. <laughs> exactly. I, I have friends now that are going through the residency process and all that stuff. And I'm just like, ooh, I'm glad I made a change. <laughs> You're like, I won an Emmy. So does that count? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my scalpel. <laughs> exactly. Well, and speaking of your award-winning work and, you know, your work on The People versus O.J. Simpson is just so incredible. That whole show has really stuck with me. Thank you. And you talk about the healing nature of true stories and telling real stories. Tell me what you learned making that show with Brad and Ryan Murphy and how much of that was applicable to Genius Aretha and how much of it wasn't. Because in a lot of ways, they're, you know, similarly kind of dense material, obviously a lot less singing in the O.J. piece. Mm-hmm. But it's true stories, but they're very, very different. So tell me what you learned on the FX piece. I think it just really strengthened the need to be authentic Mm. and, you know, how important it is to really get details right, especially when you're telling a story about someone who's well-known, like OJ, and of course, Aretha, someone who the world loves because of the big contribution that she made and and the effect that she had on the world and bringing so many people together. All these projects have really given me a newfound respect for life. Hmm. It continues to make me thirsty for wanting to really kind of examine humanity deeper and just the love of the human story. It's really what it's about because if we're not learning something about each other or learning about someone else, you know, why are we doing it or why are we telling it? Right. Very well said. And and there's something distinct for me about the OJ story versus Aretha is that we saw the OJ story play out quite literally in real time. We'll never forget the Bronco footage, right? The prolonged court scenes. Whereas Aretha's life was really not that public. And I have to say that was the thing that struck me watching Genius Aretha is how little I actually knew about her as a person. Mm -hmm. So tell me how... I guess, the level of revelation you had about who she was in her private life and how much freedom you had then to then extrapolate on that and tell us something new. You know, I I really feel like it just made me love her more. You know, I live by this saying, which is everything that is purpose for you is on the other side of fear. Mm, I like that. Mm-hmm. And she was someone who ran right into it, you know, and she understood her purpose and just being human lived her life. She enjoyed her life. I think through love, through relationships, through family, and definitely through her gift in the art of singing. And I think she 
was one who knew that in order for her to be effective, she had to do it the way she felt she needed to do it. And so she took control over it. And she, you know, it didn't come easy. No, no. Um, as it never does. But I think watching her, you just can't help but empathize and love her more for seeing what she persevered and the obstacles that she overcame and the lives that she changed along the way. And one word that comes to mind for me watching the series and hearing you talk about it is unapologetic. She Mm -hmm. never seemed to shrink from view. She was always asserting herself, even at a time when women, let alone black women, were taking control of their own business destiny as artists, but also just not afraid to then when she sort of embraced the activism part of her life. She never seemed afraid of the blowback. Is that the sense that you got too in learning about her? Completely. She was, she came from good stock. She did. Mm-hmm. You know, so she was built for it um, <laughs> and she was prepared for it. And I think that's just one of the things, again, that I relate to her life and I look at my own life and it keeps me going. It keeps pushing me. And that's the thing that I only hope that viewers can see and want to be reminded that just because you may fail or fall, get back up and keep going, keep pushing. Because man does not determine or control our destiny. And I think when we understand what we have, and sometimes it takes us longer to figure that out than others. She saw it and knew it early. Yeah, she did. Mm -hmm. That was a beautiful thing. And, And again, watching her and being some of the qualities that I think I learned deeper about her, which was seeing how truly young it started for her. She was so young. Oh, my gosh. And just... She was a genius <laughs> as a child. She was child. a genius out of the gate. It's yeah. almost unfair, isn't it? <laughs> it is unfair. It really is. It's just like, save some for us a little bit. you know. Exactly. We can't talk about Aretha and genius without talking about Cynthia, your mm. fearless starlet who took this on sort of with equal unapologetic behavior. I have to say, Cynthia really embraced this in a way that I don't know a lot of performers who would have felt this comfortable and this bold taking this on. So kudos to everyone who decided to hire her because that was a good decision. Yeah, she's (laughs) phenomenal. She's really very special. And I want to know, how did you feel the first time you saw Cynthia performing as Aretha with the hair and the clothes and the singing and, you know, hearing her live in a lot of the scenes that you directed, how did that feel? Did you sort of get that goosebump moment of like, I, I think we've brought the spirit back for a moment? I absolutely felt from day one that the spirit of Aretha was with us. Oh, that's amazing. Cynthia is so transformative and all she wanted to do was embody the humanity of Aretha. And and she did that so well. I remember from when we did the camera test and... Every time I do a camera test, I love to play music just to set the mood and the tone, make it fun and help just kind of guide along technically what we need to gain out of the camera test. And so in this day, throughout the process, we, you know, had her go through about five or six different looks that we were going to see throughout the series. And there are a lot of looks, so many. There are <laughs> a lot. We only scratched the surface. I know. I know. And of, of course, I played Aretha's music and Cynthia just as she so eloquently does and loves to do, she just, of course, just oversang me at 
you know, the speaker that I was playing, you know, just because she was already starting to warm up and to just to stretch her muscles and get ready. And it not only from me, but I looked around and saw the crew that was there and everyone was smiling, just grinning from ear to ear because it was like you just heard it. You felt it. And it was like one of the confirmations for me that I was like, we're doing it. This is right. We're in the ballpark. We're doing the right thing. We're heading in the right direction. And it was just so beautiful to watch her just lean into it and and enjoy it. Right. And to bring the joy, too, because otherwise, what's the point of all this, right? Exactly. It has to be joyful for everybody. Yes. And I spoke with a lot of your collaborators, including Kevin McKnight, your fearless cinematographer. Yeah. And we talked about something that's come up a lot in the last few months and wisely, and I'm so grateful for it, is the need to light black skin for the screen in a way that has been ignored for a long time. And we talked about the joy of having that as a collaborator and then not having to worry about it. So when you step on a set where that is of the utmost concern, you don't have to explain yourself, how does that affect your process to feel so unencumbered by, I imagine, concerns that you've had on other sets? Yeah, Kevin McKnight is such an artist. He and I have been working together for the last five, six years, and we've done so much together. And so knowing what he brings to the project, not only his talent and his skill and his ability and being an amazing cinematographer, he brings so much heart and love and soul to it. You know, he cares. He's extremely passionate about the work he does. And, you know, in lighting different hues and complexions of black skin, I never question at all. I never did from day one, to be honest. And I think we started on a project that was really period where everything was lit by candlelight. (laughs) So that was the biggest challenge in the test for him, but I never questioned it. And so it just frees me up to be able to really deal with the things that I need to continue to dealing with, which, you know, is embodying performance and supporting and, and protecting, creating a safe environment for, for the actors, motivating and championing the crew and just thinking about the story we're telling, you know, it gives me the freedom of just focusing on all all the other million things that I have going on throughout the day. (laughs) Yes. You have enough on your plate as it is. So speaking of all the things that you have to worry about as a director, can you think of a day or a scene where you called cut and you just felt, you know what, everything I dreamed of for that scene, costumes, music, production design, just everything mingled perfectly. Can you remember, I'm sure there were a lot of those moments for you. But there is there, is there one that stuck out or continues to stick out for you? I'm going to give you two. Okay, Because it's do. hard to yes. just give you one. No, two is great. I'll start with the Aladdin performance, the Vegas performance that were in the last two episodes. Yes, it's a good one. Watching all that come together really embodies and represents the collaboration that we all had. You know, we had a team of Olympians, a team of magicians from top down. And it was just really awesome watching it all come together from the beginning of just getting, you know, reading in the script and knowing that we were going to start to lean into the more celebratory years of Aretha's life. That was exciting. And also just the timeline and the era that we were going to be entering in, it was so much more vibrant and just visually interesting and stimulating. And so that was all exciting. And that just gave me the excitement to give the directive and support and encouragement to everyone. You know, I'm never one that will stifle 
the artists that we bring to the game. And we thankfully had a really awesome squad that everyone was there and brought their A-game. And so you can only cultivate that and nurture that and encourage that and inspire that just to keep going. And and that's what I love to do. I love to, you know, motivate those that are around me. And so from production design to costume design to choreography to lighting, you name it. It was such a great experience. And I walked in there and saw it and I just couldn't do anything but smile. It was just so (laughs) awesome to see it all come together because, you know, it gets so hard and we're all in the trenches at a certain point. And at that point when we shot it, it was nearing the end and we were exhausted. And (laughs) you just only want to hope that we continue having the endurance to continue to deliver and everyone delivered over and above. And it was just so awesome. And then just again, to hear Cynthia sing live and the background artists that we were able to get who are real artists themselves to come in and want to be a part of this and the dancers, you know, many of them are friends of mine. And Mm. so it was just beautiful to see everyone come support and lean into it. I remember that particular day, Luke James came to work. It was his first day working. And he came to set early and he just sat down and he started tearing up just listening to Cynthia because he just heard how much she sounded like her. And he even noted something that is something I just want to stress, which is so many people don't require the work that goes into it. And she did her homework. She did so much and really just pouring into wanting to represent and honor Aretha the best we could. I love that. And I'll quickly say my second favorite. Yes, I was going to make sure you didn't forget to mention it. <laughs> I have to just sum it up with the episode. Episode six, which was the Amazing Grace episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which touched me on multiple levels. I'm a churchy kid. I grew up in a churchy family. So <laughs> being able to, you know, kind of tap into, again, my childhood, things I knew really well and growing up in the church. And to know that, of course, it was a part of Aretha's foundation and it's what's a part of all her music, honestly. You know, it was exciting to again bring to the table and bring in giants from the gospel community. You know, we had, God bless her soul, Dorenis Pace, who has passed away oh, since we've shot. That's very sad. Crystal Rucker, who's a gospel giant. Tweet, who's an R&B singer, but she grew up in the church. And, you know, and so many of just even the local choir that we had that came in that was a part of CL's church and then of course that choir but I could go on and on there's so many great (laughs) moments but I just say now those are my two top favorites I spoke to your colleagues about this because it's something I've been thinking a lot about ever since I saw the show which is this idea of genius Mm. and I'd love to know how has making the show made you see that concept differently? Has it changed in your mind, like what genius means, what it looks like, what it feels like? It does. I'll first start off by saying, you don't know what it's like for someone until you walk in their shoes. Right. You know, first of all. And and it's so easy for us to just celebrate and herald people that rise to a point of success. And we forget that they're humans too. Right. And that's the thing where we have to remember the humanity in there and, and to know that, you know, you don't know what someone's going through on a daily basis. And so I think where genius started for me, which was thinking that genius is very subjective, how do you really define it? And thinking about Aretha, I would say that I 
quickly realized why we were celebrating her and honoring her as a genius because her life's work was and is very transformative and it's lasting. And I think having that ability to live on and continue and continue and continue to do wonders and and make contributions throughout the end of time. And to have it feel timeless and to have it feel like it never ages and that that's why we listen to Beethoven. It's why we listen to Mozart. It's exactly there are just some pieces of art and people who, for whatever reason, had a magical quality and they knew what we needed to hear. <laughs> and I feel like she's one of those people. She is. She knew she was so in tune with the times and what was yes, going on. Was. And she sang about it. You know, music is not even the same anymore. Back then it was storytelling. Now I don't really know what music is. <laughs> you know, it's a, I don't it's a hook. <laughs> it's a hook and a beat and a whatever. But <laughs> no, that's very true. And finally, I'd love to ask because I love asking craftspeople. Is there a piece of advice that you've gotten about directing and producing and telling stories that you really wish you had heard when you were starting out that you would love for people to hear? (sighs) Maybe it circles back to your very first statement, which is story first. Yeah, it is story first. And I think sometimes, you know, just in life, and I can connect this to this story again, is like sometimes your darkest moments is your greatest lesson or your greatest something. It's just not being afraid. It's what I started off by saying, which is what I love, which is everything that's purpose for you or something that you even desire sometimes is behind fear. And you have to push through that and just never be afraid. Keep going and believe and also be open to realize that. And this is my story, which is I thought I was going to be a doctor. Believe that sometimes it can shift and transition and change doesn't mean to say that I'm off the mark of what I felt I wanted or what I felt called to do. Right. It's just, it's a different package or a different process. It's a different shape. And you're a member of a union and maybe you wouldn't have been as a doctor. <laughs> exactly. And I get to travel the world. I get to meet, you know, really great people, eat good food. So it's been awesome. <laughs> Food has become very important in the last year. So I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> yes. My favorite experiences, I, I, I always say it, I took the Fat Boys tour of Italy. And that was like, <laughs> I keep thinking about that because I just ate and ate and ate and ate. And I'm like, I'm ready to go back to Italy. <laughs> I don't think there's a thin person's version of Italy. I think it's really meant to be gluttons. <laughs> well, I would say you deserve as many trips to Italy as you'd like because you've done amazing work and you continue to inspire so many people and I'm really just such a huge fan so thank you so much for talking to us thank you so much it's been a pleasure I'd like to thank Anthony for joining me today for more information on Genius Aretha please visit natgeotv.com slash FYC I am Stacy Wilson Hunt and this has been the making of a Nat Geo podcast thank you so much for listening The Making of, a Nat Geo podcast, is a National Geographic production. Executive producers, Stephanie Montgomery and Chris Alpert. Host, Stacey Wilson-Hunt. Writers and producers, Dave Beesing, Thomas Green, Jason Jackson, Kevin Horton, and Stacey Wilson-Hunt. Associate producer, Shanna Blackman. And production coordinator, Juliana Parisi. In association with Benstown, McVeigh Media, and Sound That Brands.